Welcome to Project Giveback Connects, an extension of Project Giveback in the classrooms, dedicated to inspiring young students to become empathetic, understanding, and community-minded leaders. Project Giveback Connects offers a dose of inspiration and thoughts for discussion. Each live episode is taped and shared with classroom teachers and their students. Sit back, get cozy, let's get connected. Hello everyone and welcome to Project Give Back Connects Season 2, Episode 13. In our lives, we all face challenges. But when we learn from those challenges and we learn to grow, that's where true meaning happens and we find our purpose in life. Many of you know, our son Jake was born with monumental challenges. Um, he couldn't walk, he couldn't talk, he couldn't see, he couldn't move. And at first, all we wanted to do was fix him. We wanted to cure him. We wanted to take all those challenges away. Well, I'll tell you, Jakey had a whole other view on things. And as soon as we stopped trying to fix him, he fixed us. So with all the challenges that he had in this world, he was the strongest person I've ever met. And that's what today is all about, finding our strength from our challenges. Today, we have some amazing guests. And our first guest is a legend. I'm so excited he's here and he's rolling his eyes, but he deserves this title. His name is Michael Landsberg. And he is a prominent voice on Canadian sports scene since the 80s. That's a long time. <laughs> he was producer and host of a show called Off the Record with TSN. He's now an official spokesperson for Bell Let's Talk Day, and he launched his own initiative, a charity called Sick Not Weak. He is dedicated and passionate about changing the way Canadians view mental health. Welcome, Michael, and thank you for being here. Hold on, please unmute, Michael. You muted me. This is totally your fault. This is not on me. I'm a broadcaster all my life. I will not be remembered as the guy who was on mute. Okay. Just to, so you say right now. Yeah, it was my fault, Michael. Okay. It was my fault, Michael. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for that uh, kind introduction. And you know what you mentioned uh, when you were talking about Jacob, uh, I don't know if you remember, but uh, I met you and your husband on, uh, on Eglinton at Ferraro and you were there with Jacob. And my wife and I were really stunned by um, the relationship that the three of you had and how you were treating him exactly like you would have treated any other kid. And I, I, we walked away from that kind of stunned and shocked. And it wasn't until you just explained it now that you said that, you know, when you stop trying to fix him, you know, you you created this bond with him and allowed him to be himself. And we we noticed that on that night. Uh, I know I only have a limited amount of time, so I'm going to talk really fast. And if you want to play this back later on, you can play it back a little bit slowly so you understand it. But uh, I love the name of this segment, Challenge Into Strength, because if I think back to uh, my er the early part of my life, 
I found that uh, on two different levels. Number one, in terms of a career, my greatest challenge was that I had learning disabilities. Uh, I didn't know I had learning disabilities at the time. I just thought I was lazy. And uh, I thought that, okay, well, maybe I'm not that smart. Uh, and later on in my life, when my son was diagnosed with the same things, I realized that that was me. But I had nothing. I, I want you to think about this. I came from a house where my dad was an orthodontist. Uh, my brother was or is a doctor. Uh, he's actually a kidney specialist. Brilliant, brilliant guy who I was always so proud of. Uh, and I followed him at the University of Toronto. And I followed with my friends. We all went to U of T and they all had plans. Lawyer, doctor, dentist. My dad said to me, if you want to be a dentist, I teach at uh, dental school. Maybe I can help you get in. And I showed him my marks after first year. And he said, literally... I can't help you that much. So I was really lost. And when we talk about turning challenge into strength, it wasn't until third year when I realized that I was failing out of school that I said, you know what? I'm going to do the thing that I want to do because I didn't have the confidence that I could be a broadcaster. I didn't know anyone who was a broadcaster, but I thought, you know what? I'm failing at everything else. Nothing else interests me. Why not try it? So I parked my mom's car on Harvard Street on a rainy day, deciding I wasn't going to take the exam uh, that I was supposed to write. And I went to U of T radio and I pushed down the red button, the light came on, and that changed my life. This was a huge challenge for me that turned into my greatest strength. And my greatest strength was I had gone the first 18, 19 years of my life without ever finding there was a place for me, without ever thinking, you know, I could do that, or that's something I could own. And on that day, when I pushed down the button and the red light went on and I started talking, I realized there was something for me on this planet. And I was able to sink myself into that in a way that, nobody that I knew could do in their career. So I went from the guy who was wandering and lost to the guy who was more focused than anyone. And the biggest asset that I had and the biggest reason for that was that I was failing at everything else. And I just decided, why not? Um, and if you take challenge to strength, when I was as early as I could remember, say four or five years old, I had fears, I had anxiety that I didn't know was anxiety. I just thought, like, I don't know. I just thought some people are wired like I was wired. No one told me the word anxiety. I had these crazy fears that prevented me from doing a lot of things that kids do. And I found that if somebody would have said, yeah, me too. I had this fear of throwing up. I had this fear of being around people who threw up. It's called emetophobia. If I would have met one person who had that, it would have changed my life at that time. But I thought I was the only one. But then later in life, as, as Ellen was mentioning, uh, I have a charity and it's called Sick Not Weak. And our goal is to show the world that mental illnesses like anxiety, like depression, are sicknesses, not weaknesses. And I draw on my experience as a kid um, to say, you know, that was my challenge, but now it's my strength to look into a camera or look at an audience and say, you know, I, I suffer from severe depression at times. I battle anxiety and I have all my life. I'm on medication today and I will be all my life, but you know what? I'm not ashamed and I'm not embarrassed and I'm not weak. So for me, the two biggest challenges I had, which were um, no direction in my life, uh, no success at all in school, and mental health challenges, for me, those are now two of my greatest assets because I get to make them part of my life. And, you know, uh, 
I look at depression in particular as a double-edged sword. And I don't know if you've ever heard that expression, but it's like there's uh, there's two sides to my life. On one side, the worst thing that I've ever experienced is depression because it just takes the life out of me and it prevents me from experiencing joy at, in any way. Uh, and I'm, I'm just, when I'm, when I'm being depressed, seriously depressed, I, I have literally hated every second. And all I wanted to do was to lie on the couch or get in bed and get away from everyone. So the worst thing in my life has been depression. But here I am talking to you and I'm sharing this experience and it becomes one of the best things in my life. Like who, who else gets the chance? You know, I mean, I guess people do, but me specifically, I never thought I would get the chance to make a difference in people's lives. I was talking on TV one day and I was interviewing a, a guy, a hockey player who had played um, with depression. And I said to him in advance, would it be okay if I asked you about it? And he said, I'd rather you didn't talk about it. And I said, okay, well, that's why I asked you. But if I can ask you how you're doing, I'll talk about my situation. He said, you, what would you talk about? And I said, well, well, the last 10 years at this point, I have battled severe depression. And he said, okay, let's do it. We went on the air. We talked about it for maybe a minute and a half. And that changed my life because I found out it was really, really good for other people to hear somebody like me and like this hockey player talking about a mental illness without shame and embarrassment and without sounding weak. So here on one hand, I, I have this illness that has taken away so much of my life. I mean, four or five years, probably over the last 20 years, I've given up to this illness, time that obviously I'm never going to get back. So sometimes I lament it. I think, oh God, you know, this is, this is a really crappy thing. And then at other times I think yeah, this is one of the best thing that's, that's really happened to me because uh, I mean, one of the things that we talk about on this podcast, obviously is we, you know, we talk about the benefit that we get from trying to make a difference in someone's life. So for me, that benefit is that I get to use this poison, which for me is depression, as somebody else's medicine, because talking about it for them can make that kind of difference. So here I am on, uh, you know, on, on this day, at this point in my life where I can say, you know, this is gonna be crazy, but I, I don't know if I could, whether I would turn the clock back and never have any kind of mental health challenge, just because it's so valuable to me to be able to make a difference in someone's life. Um, so here I am talking to you today, kind of torn. It's like on one hand, oh gosh, there's been times when I couldn't get out of bed. Uh, and then there's today when I feel good and I get to look at all of you and say, you know what, sometimes, something really bad in your life can become something really good in your life. And that was, by the way, bang on eight minutes, okay? Michael, thank you for doing what you do. It's such important work. And I just can't think of anybody better at it than you. You're so honest and you're so real and you're so vulnerable and transparent. So thank you, continue hey. it. And that word that you used, vulnerable, is like, you know, I, I, talk to, uh, I talk to corporations and leaders of corporations will say, you know, how do we change the way people look at mental illness within this company? And I say, show vulnerability, especially if you're the boss and people take their lead from you. Show them that you're not afraid to be vulnerable and they won't be. Hmm. Great point. Thank you so much, Michael. So we have a very special performer here today. Her name is Lily Liebrach. 
Uh, Lily just graduated from the prestigious Sheridan College's Bachelor of Musical Theater Performance Program. Next year, she's starting her Masters of Music in New York at NYU. We're so excited for her. Lily has been in so many productions since the age of eight. She performs at countless fundraising events and she just brings so much joy to everyone who gets to know her. And Lily, thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Ellen. And Michael, you spoke so beautifully. Um, I'm so glad that I got to listen to that. Um, and today I'm going to sing a song called Some Things Are Meant To Be. Uh, it's from the musical Little Women. And what I love about this song and the reason that I wanna share it with you all today is it's really a song of hope uh, in difficult times and finding the joy and the love for someone else. Let's pretend we're riding on a kite. Let's imagine we're flying through the air. We'll ascend until we're out of sight. Light as paper will soar. Let's be
Billy, you are just a joy. Thank you so much for that. We are so excited to follow you and see where you go. We're going to be in the front row, just cheering you on from wherever you are, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lily. That was beautiful. So it's time to meet our shining stars. I first met this first shining star back in grade five when he was one of our Project Give Back students at the Leo Beck Day School. We knew he was a star then, but wait until you see what he is up to. Mason Dretz, welcome to Project Give Back Connects. Hey everyone, Ellen, thanks so much for the beautiful introduction. So my name is Mason, I'm 17 years old. I'm about to graduate high school, super exciting. Um, so going along with this topic, so about six and a half, almost seven years ago today, I got diagnosed with type one diabetes. And I think like any diagnosis or, or let alone a diagnosis, any change in life, it, it's just, it's super hard. Like initially, like all you're thinking about is like the worst things, right? You're thinking about like, oh my God, like, am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able to be successful? Like for me, like I've, I've always been a big athlete. So like, I've always like related it back to like, when I got diagnosed, like I was thinking like, am I going to be able to play hockey with all my friends? Am I going to be able to shoot hoops at the park? Like all these thoughts, you know, coming in. Right. And like, what I could say is that like, even in probably one of the most craziest days of my life, this diagnosis, like it, it's time. That's one of the hardest things, but one of the best things, because even though that time can seem so slow and so slow and, and it could take months and years to really like get a grip on like, okay, like, what is this? How is this going to affect my life? It, it can also be one of the best things because time will actually show you that sometimes a life-changing diagnosis is actually like something amazing. I think like the most important thing for me that diabetes has taught me is, is learning to accept because like in life, like you can't, you can't sit around and, and wanting like something that other people have or like wondering like, why don't they have diabetes or, or why don't they, they go through this? Like I do, you know, it, it, we'd be sitting here for hours thinking these, cause thinking these things, right. Cause we don't, we can't control that. Right. So like, it's really helped me like accept all these things in life. Like when, when I'm going to move, I've moved a lot, you know, in Toronto, like I've been in a lot of houses. It's, it's like, it's like diabetes is maybe have this outlook on like, okay, I'm going to move. It's changed, but I can accept it. You know, maybe I got a bad mark on a test. That's, that's terrible, but I can accept it. You know what I mean? It, it helps you like get this like much better look on life just to, to be like, because I can accept diabetes, such a life changing condition. I can accept anything. So like this, this whole idea kind of like, you know, came into my mind and, and changed me and, and like made me realize like, wow, like it's not just me who has diabetes. And I'm sure all these other people with diabetes kind of have this same message message that like, I got diagnosed with this life-threatening condition. It sucks. And like, it's, it, it, it affects me day in and day out. But like, all of us can persevere and, and be a, amazing people and be successful with, with diabetes. So that's what sparked my idea to curate a book. Because I knew that like, I had such an amazing story to share about how a life-threatening condition changed my life i'm sure that so many other people would too so this is this is my book i actually have it right in front of me it's called teen 1d it's basically a book of seven curated essays on everyone's diagnosis story and how diabetes has come in changed their life 
but then change their life and how they've had a better look and outlook on, on life and how they've been able to persevere and be successful and realizing that like, even when there is a bump in the road, like you can overcome it and you can overcome anything just like diabetes. Well, Mason, thank you so much, guys. This book is so beautiful. It's so well-written. It's so put together so beautifully, uh, Mace. And the stories, although they're all very similar, which is so interesting because they're all teens. They're yeah, all exactly. teens. Focus directly and on teams. But it just makes people feel that they're not alone. And I just thank you for that. Thank you for writing that. Yeah. And even, you know, even though we're all teens and we all have the same, same condition, we all, you know, live a different life. We all different ages, you know, do different things, like different things. And diabetes affects us just a little bit differently. So it's really cool to see everyone's, you know, kind of look on it in perspective. Absolutely. Thanks, Mace. Thank you, Ellen. So we have another shining star who also took a challenge that she was facing and turned it around into a purpose to help others. So welcome, Arielle Weinstein. Please share with us what you're up to. Hi, everyone. Like Ellen said, I'm Arielle Weinstein. Um, I'm a friend, a daughter. I'm a grade 11 student at CHAT, a soccer player, a hockey player. And I also have something called trichotillomania. Trichotillomania, more commonly referred to as trick, is essentially just a hair pulling disorder. It involves irresistible urges to pull hair from any part of the body, typically in response to stress. For me, these urges cause me to pull hair from my eyebrows and eyelashes. March 12, 2020, the day COVID shut down our world, is also the day my grade nine self pulled her first eyebrow hair. I still haven't been able to pinpoint what provoked the pulling, and initially didn't even think anything of it. However, quickly the small gaps on my eyebrows grew bigger and soon the gaps turned into baldness. Lucky enough, for the first few months, because we were in lockdown, I never really had to encounter anyone in person. Hiding, which is something many people with trichotillomania unfortunately feel compelled to do, became easy for me. I would, tilt, I would tilt my Zoom camera up to my forehead so that no one would be able to see my lack of eyebrows. And although I did receive texts asking what had happened, I would have time to craft a response. Because of this forced isolation, I never really outwardly told my friends that I had begun picking. I don't do well with talking about myself or my feelings, so I found it both challenging and embarrassing to share this with my friends. I had never actually said I have trichotillomania out loud until very recently, as part of my grade 11 SAP, which is a sociology, anthropology, and psychology course. In this class, we were tasked with writing a children's book about a mental illness of our choosing. While many students selected prevalent disorders, I chose to write about trichotillomania. And this was a major turning point for me. This assignment forced me to research about the disorder, and in doing so, I was able to learn about its history, causes, stigmas, and treatment plans, providing me with a newfound understanding and acceptance of myself. The story, which I have right here, titled Perfectly Imperfect, follows the journey of Paula, a parent who, in response to stress, in response to stress begins to pull her feathers. She was confused, ashamed, and felt alone, until she met with a psychologist and found new behaviors to replace the pulling one. Through Paula, readers learn about the importance of educating others, seeking help, and most importantly, that they are not defined by their condition, but rather that they should embrace it. The story was intended to just be submitted for my assignment. However, throughout the writing process, I realized that this is a condition that, although extremely common, is not known or talked about nearly enough. I give credit to this story, as well as to my amazing friends and family, for providing me with the courage to not only make changes to my pulling habits, 
but also to be able to find my voice and use it for an impactful purpose. I hope that all individuals living with any sort of mental health issue understand that their condition is just a tiny fraction of who they are as a person. I am not Ariel Weinstein, the girl who pulls her hair, but rather an Ariel Weinstein, the daughter, the friend, student, athlete, and author, who just happens to also pull her hair. Thank you. Such an important story. And look at this. Look at the look at the pages. It is so beautiful. Such an important message. And thank you for doing that, Ariel. Just both of you, both of you, just just phenomenal. Everyone, I just want to thank you so much for being here today. You're all so brave. And we can see you found your strength from your challenges and you found your voices and boy, are they strong and boy, are they empowering. So please continue to do what you're doing. And with everyone, my message to you today, as always, is let's be kind to one another. Let's embrace one another. Let's learn from one another. And we will see you in two weeks. Open your heart today